Welcome to the Recovery Lab podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. Recovery Lab hopes to destigmatize addiction and normalize recovery. Our platform provides an avenue to share the many stories of those that have recovered from addiction, providing for the listener the most basic antidote to addiction. Hope. All right, everybody, we're back. This is episode 54 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. Uh, we're joined today by Eric Button on the Zoom. Uh, thank yeah. you, uh, technology of the early 21st century. <laughs> are uh, you guys in Jackson, Mississippi? Uh, Madison, yes, sir. Oh, Madison. Yes, sir. Just a little well, bit I more. Wish I, I wish I could have been in Madison. I'd be sitting there right on the couch with you guys. Absolutely. Well, it, it's a lot like Jackson, only we don't have all the crime. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's a whole another podcast. Look, you could probably leave a, a chunk of gold bullion in the parking lot, and it would probably be there the next day. Yeah. Let's let's in go Madison. Yeah. yeah, in Madison. Let's uh, let's knock on wood with that. So y'all don't have uh, you don't have cars sitting in the parking lot with blue flashing lights. They're not there long. <laughs> Look, if you well, want, if you want to break the law, go to the other side of the county line. Yeah, we, they, they're okay. not. They're not keen on um, messing around. Look, uh, they've got all the all the tax base in the world, and all the resources, and all the motivation to take you to jail. They're not playing around. Yeah, no, no, no. The, right. the f around and find out is not. Well, that's the way that, it's supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's the way. That's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Well, look, accountability. To get, Absolutely. To, to just to reiterate for the listeners, the general format, and this is just kind of general, is a speaker meeting with questions. You tell us a little bit okay. about what you got going on. I know you have a okay. professional angle too, so I mean, we can just 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 take it and talk, and we'll prompt you with questions that we think are interesting and. The benefit of having well, your own podcast is you can ask whatever you want. That's right. So, uh, you know, we, yeah, without further ado, Eric Button. Well, thank you guys for having me. And I'm honored to be on Recovery Lab. I, uh, I got sober on the 21st day of July, 2005. It was not a day I was planning on getting sober. Um, I grew up in the Dallas area of Texas. Um, was adopted at birth to great loving parents who gave me every opportunity to do whatever I want to in life. Can I just say I something was, real quick? Yeah. Okay. This is crazy. I was yeah. also adopted at birth and I also grew up in Dallas, Texas. Go on. <laughs> I guess y'all's charity born, system is working out at Baylor Hospital. Now. No, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was born at Baylor Hospital in Dallas. Okay. 7-6-1967. Very cool. <laughs> so, um, where was I at? Uh, you um, adopted at birth. Wonderful, yeah. beautiful family. I had every opportunity in the world. I was a... Uh, Highly motivated, um, huge work ethic. I can remember being a kid every summer 
getting to go up to my mom's folks, which are my grandparents on my mom's side, and work at their carpet cleaning business every summer. And I mean, I didn't spend money for nothing. I was always the type of guy that wanted to get my stuff by myself. Sure. I didn't go to my folks and asking for this and that and the other thing. I just went out and made it happen. Right. So highly motivated um, personality. Um, always had jobs, which always afforded me. I mean, I graduated high school and and moved out in my own place that summer. Wow. Um, worked in the car parts business pretty much all my adult life until I got sober. Um, got in trouble with the law numerous upon numerous times. First time I ever got arrested, I was two weeks this side of my uh, 16th birthday. Could have easily got a DWI, but for whatever reason, got a public intoxication and was able to bond myself out because I had a pocket full of money. Wow. Yeah, that's the early 80s for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, quickly learned um, that this lifestyle, um, I need to be prepared for avenues of trouble. So it was very difficult for me to buy into the fact that I'm not in control. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because I always had the jobs, which always uh, kept me in the cars and the houses and and the lawyers. And uh, first, last time I ever got arrested, I was um, fast forward to 35 years old. Um, I am uh, the parts manager at a modification center for International Truck and Engine Corporation in Garland, Texas. And uh, I had fooled everybody that I'm staying sober. And I wasn't staying sober. I'm a recovered methamphetamine addict. And um, I was going to get to take my daughter, Jordan, who was five years old at the time, six, uh, going to get to take her on a trip. And I had to jump through hoops to get to that point. Right. Sure. I had to have supervised visitation. I was on probation. I had, uh, of course, a probation officer, uh, my daughter's mother, my parents, my daughter's mother's mother, all these people were questioning the fact that I was staying sober and I jumped through the hoops and, um, fooled everybody yet again. And Friday morning, about six o'clock, I was, uh, leaving my house to go to work. Cause I was going to leave at noon to go pick up Jordan and fly down to San Antonio to go to SeaWorld with her first trip in probably a couple years where I could go unsupervised and uh, got arrested one block from my house. Oh, geez. One block from my house. Was this an alcohol charge? And it was a uh, controlled substance, methamphetamines. Okay. Was smoking it in the car. <laughs> oh, God. Just like, just like every other time I get, I get a little freedom and I, quickly lose it 
Right. Um, I would say today and have been since I got into recovery, that is God working on getting me into this funnel of change. Sure. And I danced around that funnel. You know what a funnel looks like? Absolutely. It's, it's got a big end on it, and that's that's designed to capture myself. And God God seemed to use the legal system to uh, to get me to change, to get back into the the real person that I am. I and um, so I got arrested. Normal people don't have bond already paid for the next time they get arrested, but I did. <laughs> Bonding company had money sitting there, uh, $5,000 of which was utilized to uh, pay for a $50,000 bond. How I got a bond, I was on two felony probations. It's a clerical error. So I bonded out. And uh, needless to say, I didn't pick up Jordan to take her on that trip. Yeah. And the covers got pulled off yet again. And uh, I was at a crossroads. So I. Um, How long did people think that you had been sober at this point? Oh, a couple of years. Uh, at least a year. Okay. Yeah, at least a year. And I mean, faking urine samples. Uh, just. All nine yards. It. Yeah. I mean, what, what does the book say? We burn up our energy foolishly. Right. Oh, I was burning up some energy. Isn't it amazing <laughs> the lengths that we go to and the oh at times quite impressive uh, deceit? The link, look, I remember one time I needed to come up with some convincing drug test results. So I bought a URL that sounded <laughs> a lot like a drug testing place here in town that was just one letter off so that I could use Adobe to edit legitimate drug screens that I had for some of my clients. And then I would have them sent from the fake URL, you know, and, and I was like, I'm going to show them. Uh, and I was proud of it. Yeah. I mean, and I look oh, yeah. back now and I think if I, if I had used the same amount of determination and drive and will only to improve myself and not obfuscate my drug use, I, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm loving your your funnel of change. Yes, yeah. Captured I, into the funnel of change. That's it, great. It fits beautifully with my life, 100%. Beautiful. That's exactly what happened. You know, and, and, and for the longest time, I used my energy to just get get at the top of the funnel and hang on to the edge or not even get completely in just pretend right just circling and, around uh um finally uh you know consequences never got me sober right but consequences got me into a position where i could slow down mm -hmm. and um buy into putting different actions forward. So went to my attorney and uh, he said, Hey, the only 
only way we're going to keep you out of the Texas penal system is uh, we're going to see if they will allow you to go to treatment. And I'd been to, you know, little stints here and there and did all kinds of probation treatments and stuff like that. So I thought, well, are you talking what, like 30 days or something? He said, oh, no. You're looking at five to 10 years in Texas penal system because um, it was a third felony. Right. He said, um, we're going to see if you can go, to, if they'll allow you to go to treatment for a minimum of a year. I said, what? <laughs> And uh, back in 2000, early 2005, there was really only two places that did long-term residential treatment. And that was a place up in New Jersey called Alina Lodge and a place in Texas called Burning Tree. And uh, I wasn't going to New Jersey. And, uh, I was able to go to burning tree and, and, um, before I got there, they actually, um, burning tree wanted me to go to a 30 day center before I came to burning tree, which is a long-term eight to 14 month treatment center. Wow. And I went to a place in Texas, uh, for 30 days called La Hacienda. Sure. And, uh, I do what I, I do what I do in real life, right? I get some kind of adversity and I can put on a face and put on an act. And I mean, it was no time. I was community president. Mr. Mr. La Hacienda. <laughs> yeah. I was Mr. La Hacienda. Model <laughs> inmate. Model and, it, student. and it was like, yeah. holy moly. Oh, you can, you can leave at two o'clock every day. Oh man, this is like being on vacation. Right. And, uh, but I knew I was going to burning tree ultimately. And, uh, burning tree is exactly what I needed because of the personality that I have, which is, um, do, 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 and not um, do for myself. People-pleasing, would you say? People-pleasing, which really fed into my uh, my drug addiction, right? Sure. My methamphetamine use, which was kind of oxymoron because at the end, I was totally isolated and just was moving so fast I couldn't even move. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. it makes perfect sense. Uh, methamphetamine <laughs> was was my drug of choice. Um, I mean, that, that was and that was uh, my thing. I mean, I'm at Burning Tree. I'm a I'm. There's all kinds of uh, expectations. Some would call them rules. I would call them expectations to uh, to enact. And um, one of the rules. Is for me as a client, I'm supposed to say bye to my family when they come and visit on Sunday and uh, stay inside the building and not go out to their car with them. Well, what do you think I do? 
go out to the car with them. Oh yeah. Because my mom and dad would bring my daughter down and there were certain, some months that I was the only one that had a, a child. Right. Right. And, uh, I'd get away with it for a while. I, I would, it was so premeditated. Oh, Hey, the visitation's fixing to end. Um, I am, um, Y'all, y'all need to get y'all need to go ahead and go so you can get to the airport on time. I don't want y'all to risk being late. My mom and dad would fly down to Austin with my daughter. They'd pick her up at her mother's, fly down there, rent a car, drive over to see me, and they were never late any, but I would use that, you know, because I want to help them, right? Right. What was your what what were you trying to achieve here? Did that were there like drugs in the car or what 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 was the My, what I was trying to achieve was uh pretending that I uh am still in control. Okay. And that I needed to go tuck Jordan into the car seat. Okay, so what was in that car for you? Other than like were were there drugs hidden in there? You were going to get No. No. It was a rent car that my folks had rented from the airport. What was in there was uh I'm different. The thought I don't for have me, to. The thought for me that some rules don't apply to me. Oh, oh, oh. So the whole the whole thing, I see what you're getting at. You're, there, there wasn't something in the car that you were trying to get. You felt incredibly unique and different and felt like the rules didn't apply to you. So therefore, you're going to do everything, anything that you think uh, you want to do, and you're perfectly capable of justifying it in your head that this is something that I deserve to do because look at me. I'm, I'm a great, like I'm, I'm above you guys. And so what, what I did the same thing and left of my own devices can do the same thing today, even in sobriety. But what I, what I had to learn was uh, I'm not above the law. I'm not above the rules. And it wasn't until I was willing to accept that, that, my sobriety and God was able to kind of really grasp into my life and, and, and work with me and mold with me. But until I made that decision, I, 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 I was destined to, to live on self-will, um, until the end. Um, is this same kind of similar to you? Bingo. Okay. The thought was, you know, Hey, you guys go ahead and leave. Uh, Everybody else is getting to leave, so there's kind of a commotion. Sure. I duck out the side door, go to the car. Oh, hey, I just wanted to tuck Jordan into the car seat. I remember one of the first times my dad said, hey, you're not even supposed to be out here. And what do you think I tell him? Oh, it's, okay. it's, no, it's no big deal, Dad. It's no big deal. It's all right. Hey, I'm the only one that's got a Jordan's here, blah, blah. You know, sure. same, same old song and dance. And, and. They don't have any drugs there. Right. When I went through burning tree, they didn't even have sugar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Full stop. So so my behavior is still that addictive entitled behavior. Right. Right. At this point, had the switch clicked that drugs and alcohol are never going to be a solution for you ever again? Or were you still holding on to the idea that maybe, maybe I may be able to drink or use like a gentleman one day? Oh, I, I still believe that. Okay. Yeah. I was still believing that. Then. Okay. 
because all of my experiences up to that point were I can clean up, I can show up, I can do these things, I can get the pressure off me, and uh, then I can control and use right. and not have consequences. This time will be which different. Was total, which was a total lie. Right. Yeah, there's a there's yeah. a fallacy we all fall for in that I, oh. I can how many times did I tell myself, look, you're just not you're not preparing well enough. Right. You, you, you need right. to think about this and you will fit like you're you're just being there's a solution here. Yeah, you're, you're just not you're being too risky. You're not being reasonable. You, you know, you can figure out a way to use IV meth or IV delauded like they're you know like a you're clever enough yeah and yeah. my problem is yeah. I had been clever enough for many many years yeah. to pull off doing pretty much whatever I wanted to and to you know fumble around and avoid real consequences but eventually you know as 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 is common you run out yeah the line yeah, runs out. That's, that's exactly. So it played out, um, of course, after about five or six times of getting the opportunity to, to do exactly what I was doing. Just like any other time from the time I was 16 on in my addiction, eventually the covers get pulled off and I get detected, right? Right. And uh, so I get detected. They don't confront me then. They confront me the next day in community and uh, for every behavior, there's an action, right? right. And the action that Burning Tree uh, was taken because I would choose, I chose not to uh, adhere to the expectations was I lost visitation the next month. Oh. And I got to explain that to my family. And I got to explain that to my daughter and you couldn't have scripted it any better. Um, the next visitation was father's day. Oh, and you can't, you can't make that stuff up. There was some kind of power out there. Well, when they told me what was going on, Oh my gosh, you would have thought I got, I got extremely angry. I cussed everybody out. I walked out to the edge of the property. I kicked rocks. I hung out in the sun for four hours. Go we'll show them. Screaming. I walked out of the treatment center, but I just walked to the edge of the property. I never left. There was something something keeping you there, huh? But the only thing that was keeping me there was um, there was a small little part that wanted to change but the biggest piece was the consequence that you know i'd be going to the penal system right and uh you know i was i said earlier that consequences never got me sober but consequences got me where i got invested in that funnel and i swam to the middle of the funnel and then gravity started taking hold and i started having an experience with um being honest and you know it was very simple to the most simplest things like um when somebody asks you how you're doing well i'm really up in my head today i'm 
I'm thinking a lot about how I don't like doing this. And I started having an experience with honesty. And then I grew a relationship with honesty. And of course, I wanted more of it. And uh, well, it's a practice. Right. You know, it they, is a practice. It, it is absolutely a practice. Seeing, I started seeing God show up in my life. All the times that I thought was coincidences that I got arrested right. They were profiling me or whatever. Bad luck. Yeah. Bad luck. Yeah. Wrong place, All wrong right. time. People I'm running around with. I mean, I would drive Buick Park Avenues thinking that they don't arrest blue hairs. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I started getting busy. And I started having an experience with the work. And I truly see how this power out here I call God has been guiding and directing me for a long time. And I'd been shutting the door at the guidance. And um, I sponsor guys. I'm sponsored. Home group. Um, any, Any opportunity I have to be of service. I don't hesitate. And um, I haven't put drugs and alcohol in my body since the 21st day of July 2005. If I wouldn't have had the opportunity to go into long-term treatment, I would have continued to uh, think I was in control. And I choosed what I was doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Can you walk us us through just real quick? Because... Yeah. uh, a lot of folks, myself included, struggled with the understanding that drugs and alcohol are never, ever, ever, ever going to be a solution to you again. Can you identify, have you identified what that moment was where there was, or or was it a, a time period at which you finally realized, oh, okay, maybe it's a good idea for me to let go of this idea that I might be able to use successfully in the future? Here's a great, I'm a very visual learner. Sure. And this is a visual audio uh, exercise. So Wednesdays, I would have my one-on-one with my counselor. And for the longest time, she kept on harping on me, Eric, when, when are you going to surrender? And what I started real, what I've realized now is what she's talking about. Surrender is, is, um, being in the center of the funnel, right? Participating, getting into the flow of life, Mm -hmm. surrender. Well, I would be so mad. And then Wednesday would be the day that my sponsor would come out and and, uh, visit with me. (laughs) And, uh, Greg, I, he, uh, I was just angry, got done seeing her. And I had just got off the phone with my daughter, right? Irritable, discontented. And uh, my sponsor, Greg, he goes, he goes, well, do you even know what the word surrender means? And I said, yeah, I'm not a quitter. 
and he pulled out of the back of his pocket a little dictionary. And he said, I want you to look it up. It's a, a Webster's Dictionary. Who carries around a Webster's <laughs> Dictionary? But this guy did. Greg, I look it up, and the word surrender, the definition is to go over to the winning side. So that's an opportunity where I visually can see and I can feel how there's a power that was guiding and directing that situation for me to make the realization that I can get into different action. And I can, and, and when I started feeling that I wanted more of it. Sure. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's yeah, great. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So and the, that kind of stuff happens all the time now. Right. I mean, I'll think of somebody and they'll call me, or I'll think of somebody and I'll call them. And there's just there's no coincidences anymore. No, nothing it's in this all, world happens by accident. It's all in the flow. You know, it's all in the flow, and I want to continue to stay in the stream. Sure. So I do the things to continue to stay in the stream of free flow life. And that is um, look at opportunities for me to do things better. Here's a great opportunity. Um, guy named Nathan worked with him years ago. Uh, Emily and I, we saw his daughter when she was born. Okay. Several years ago. I think she's 11 or 12 years old now. month or so ago he was driving over by my house him and his daughter and his wife they come driving by and uh i get to see his daughter She's tall um healthy girl and um i know nathan nathan is this this big spirit and he likes to you know he likes everything neat and orderly right I think she was eating a snack in the back seat, and I, and I made a comment. I said, hey, you know, be careful back there. You don't want to lose no crumbs on there. You'll you'll send your dad in the left field, right? And then that egged her on to, to make comments about her dad, and that egged her, his wife, to make comments about him. And I could tell at that moment that, I didn't need to say that to his daughter and belittle it. Basically what I was doing is belittling her father in front of her. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, uh, later that day I started thinking about it and I called him and I said, Hey, I wanted to let you know, I wanted to have an opportunity to make amends to you for today. And I explained to what was going on. And um, then as the conversation went on, he said, well, I was thinking about, I'd been thinking about for some time calling and asking you to be my sponsor. Wow. So, so the, it's just another example of how God sets things up and then we work on it. Right. Yeah. If, if and, we're, we're, and we're doing the steps together. Are you really? That's yeah. awesome. 
Yeah, it's it's if if we can get ourselves out of the way, um, lots and lots of incredible things. If, if we just do the 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 whole cliche of do the do the right, next thing right or the next right thing, um, and and we remove ourselves from the equation, beautiful things God can do or your higher power, however you choose to see it, um, has has the uh, much easier time of making incredible things happen. Um, yeah. and I, I, I certainly feel that a hundred percent. So, all right. So you got sober, you, um, where, where did you, uh, what, what, what walk us through a little bit of what it's like now uh, we know what happened. Um, and so what's it like now? What is life like now? What, what brings you joy? What, what is difficult for you? How is sobriety, um, what, what role does sobriety play in your life and what is life like today? Thanks for the question. Sobriety is the most important thing in my life. Um, I do the things on a daily basis to connect with this power. Um, what life means to me today is balance. I could, I could use more balance uh, in diet and exercise, but I'm making attempts. Um, there's always stuff that I can do better. Uh, family is number one. I have the opportunity to be of service to my family. My mom and dad are, you know, in their, uh, they're 83. My mom's going to be turning 84 this Tuesday. I'm able to do the things that a son should be doing for their parents. Um, I have a wonderful relationship with my daughter who is thriving. She's going to school to be a nurse. She holds a part-time position as a recruiter for nurses. Um, I get to enjoy the hobby of flying aircraft. I did that this morning at sunrise and I was doing that last night at sunset. I have a wonderful woman in my life named Emily Klein who um, always helps make me a better person. I get to be a service to her and her family. Um, and then I do things out of recovery. I, uh, for six years now, I've been a I've been a mentor, uh, coach, um, example for young men at a fraternity at University of Texas called Sigma Alpha Epsilon, and uh, I've got to see several uh, young men start out as pledges and then become president of the chapter and i get to i get to uh be there to lend support or um create relationships and relationships are based upon being real sure and uh Life is amazing. I can't wait to wake up. I mean, last night I was going to sleep and I, I was thinking in my head, 
man, I can't wait until tomorrow morning. <laughs> right. And for someone that's in active addiction, let me just speak for myself. When I was in active addiction and I would have heard you say that, I would have thought that you're completely full of BS because I was not in a position <laughs> as a result of my life choices to be able to understand what it's like to have a life that's worth living. And it sounds like now today with a little bit of time under my belt, when I hear someone say that, I feel that I feel the same way. I am genuinely excited about today and about tomorrow, as long as I get on my knees every morning and ask God that he direct my thinking and that I do his will. If left to my own devices, I can be a complete a-hole and, and just go crazy. Um, but right. today I'm able to um, believe you when you say that. And I was not able to believe someone that was talking that way when I was in active addiction. So for those of you who are listening now and maybe hearing, you know, us say, you know, we couldn't imagine when we were drinking and using that life could be this beautiful. Well, rewarding, right. Rewarding. Believe me when I say this, we also used to not be able to, to really picture what a life, what a beautiful life could, could look like because we were so it, it consumed with self. Well, if you do the work, if you, if you approach this day after day and are consistent with doing the things that kept you, got you sober when you first got sober, your life will turn into something that you truly love. Now, it may not be what you think it's going to be, but rest assured, if you do the next right thing, it will be better than your wildest dreams should you decide to continue on this path. I guarantee you it will be bigger and more rewarding than you can ever, than you could ever predict. Yeah. And that's been the experience for myself. I'm, I'm the same way. I, I'm, I'm yeah. right there with we, you. We that. sell ourselves short. A hundred percent. A hundred to, to feel safe. And, um, that that's what drugs and alcohol did for me. It, it, it was a solution to my, the hole inside my heart and it worked. It was very effective for a very, very long time until it stopped. And then I was left with, oh, wow, I need to put these chemicals in my body in order to feel better. But they used to work and make me feel better. Uh, but now they're not doing that. So now I'm just left with an addiction and a bunch of shame wrapped up within that. Um, and, you know, I, I had no idea what to do. And fortunately, you know, my my I was kind of thrown into um, re recovery on numerous occasions and. Um, you know, I, like you, like you discussed, I was circling that funnel for, uh, 18 years. Um, just, just yeah. circling. I'd, I'd get in there a little bit and start going in towards the circle and then life would get difficult or I'd go through some sort of life changing event and I would just hop back onto the top of that funnel, but no, I need to do this my way and, and start the cycle over again. And it wasn't until I made that decision that, wow, you know what? Drugs and alcohol are never going to be a solution for me. I better, I, I better figure out how to do life without that. And I tried every imaginable way in order to do that. And, um, you know, for me personally, the 12 steps has, has been an absolute godsend for me. Now, of course, there are one million and one different paths to, 
to sobriety. Whatever works for, sure. for you is great. I'm just saying what worked for me is a 12 step program. And I'm super, super grateful for that. I would say the common denominator through every path from my experience, every path that, that uh, leads to abstinence or sobriety from chemicals that change the way we feel. It's all based upon honesty, mm -hmm. making commitments and doing it. Right. And if that's prayer meditation every morning, making a commitment and doing it and giving yourself the opportunity to have the experience. And the next thing you know, several, several moments have gone by on the day and you're sober. Right. And then you build on that from there. So you actively work with, with folks now in the recovery community or. So, yeah. So I was, uh, I got out of burning tree in 2005 or actually, uh, September of 06. Okay. And, um, I was going to get right back in the car parts business. And I had met a guy who was opening a body shop up in Georgetown, Texas, outside of Austin. And, um, you know, I would have went to work for him. He was going to pay me $20 an hour in 2006. I would have excelled. I would have probably been managing the place. And the phone rang and it was a guy named Mark Houston. Mark Houston was CEO of Burning Tree for about six months of my stay when I was had the opportunity of being a client there. And uh, him and a guy named Greg Rolfe asked me if I ever thought about working in treatment. I said, no, I never thought about that. And uh, he said, well, why don't you come out here and see what we got going on? It's a brand new uh, place and went out there and uh, I fell in love with it. I took a $9 an hour job as a tech. I had made $9 an hour since before I got out of high school. Right. And uh, did every job in treatment other than um, being a counselor. Sure. And in some aspects, I am a counselor. I'm a peer recovery support specialist now. Uh, mental health coach um and uh this november i will have been with burning tree for 10 years i started out uh working at mark's tech tech supervisor admissions bd you name it i was doing it opened up a program called addiction directions where we work with the guys coming out of mark's we created a very robust, uh, basically a, a coaching mentor accountability program called ADAP. And uh, we got very good at helping the family stick to the plan, which then in turn allowed their loved ones to stick to the plan. Sure. Uh, everybody that comes out of a treatment center, they get a, a prescription of health, right? Some call it a continuing care plan. Some call it a discharge plan. It's basically a prescription of health. When you successfully implement every item in that plan, it's a guarantee you're staying sober. Right. Guarantee. And 95% of people 
they sign that piece of paper and they wad it up and put it in their binder and they don't look at it again. And what we did was help the clients put practical application of that plan in the forefront of their life. And we put that plan in the forefront of the family's life. And we started having a lot of success with men and women implementing those plans in their life. And, uh, that program thrived and, uh, looked for a new opportunity. And, uh, in November, I will have been with Burningtree for 10 years. And I, I, uh, I do national outreach for Burningtree. Uh, my title is family liaison, senior national business development representative. I work, uh, Tree has two programs. They have, um, the recovery ranch, which is outside of Dallas. It's an eight to 14 month residential with a 12 month, uh, transition program. It's been around since 1999. We're family owned. Then we have a mindfulness approach to the 12 step program, which is shorter term, 30, 60, 90 day. It's outside of Austin in Elgin, Texas called renewal lodge. Um, it is mindfully directed uh, by the founder of mindfulness and recovery. His name is John Bruna. He, he, he creates the culture for renewal lodge. Renewal lodge is a program that is in network with just about every insurance out there, health insurance. Burning tree because it's long-term doesn't work with insurance, but it does have the ability to uh, assist people that really need burning tree. Um, it's a self-pay program. And uh, so I work with our families that have loved ones with us, and uh, I get to go out and tell the story. Look, you've telling it so well. Hell, I want to go to Burning Tree. <laughs> you know, it's it's, it's, it's for a it's week really for a weekend a refresher course. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. It's a program. Um, what I know about um, what I know about treatment and and people help, finding help. There's help out there for everybody, and not every place is the exact is the place for every person. But there is a place for every person. I couldn't agree more. Look, yeah. I, you know, what worked for me, the, la the last thing that kind of got through to me was a faith-based place. And I would have never thought that I would have ever benefited from a faith-based uh, institution, but it found me right where I needed to be found and, you know, put me on the path to sobriety, recovery, improved spiritual relationships, improved everything. So yeah, I, I completely agree. And yeah. you know, it's a big ask for somebody, Hey, go to this place for nine months or a year. Um, but I, I completely endorse, like, I know the difference between uh geographical cure and yep. you need to be removed from what I call my epicenter of poor choices. You need to be taken out of your environment and put somewhere for long-term reprogramming and yeah. institutions like the way you describe burning tree sounds exactly like that. 
That's it. We're not for everybody. We're, we're for the ones that need us. Absolutely. And God usually lines them up. Yeah, well, there's no shortage. There's no me. usually. God always lines them up. Yeah. yeah. So what's um, what what brings you the most amount of joy today? True, unadulterated joy. I would say connecting people. I share that with you. Bringing people together that um, wouldn't know each other unless I knew both of them. And I I don't say that as arrogant, but um, I say that in a fact that um, collaboration and coming together is the key to recovery. It's complete opposite of where we were at before, which was isolation. Right. Right. So I want to bring as many people together as possible. Look, you're speaking my love language here. I always reflect back on that, uh, Johan Hari, but the guy who talks about rat park, you know, the opposite of addiction isn't necessarily sobriety. It's connection right. and interconnectivity yeah. and building relationships and having that rapport with one another as opposed to the stark reality that drug use isolates us. It's a self-imposed prison. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And and it, uh, it, it works. It works. It absolutely does. And that's what brings me, that's what brings me joy. Look, when, we, uh, we both get I the get same to thing. People together that, that wouldn't already be together. Right. We get the same benefit out of the podcast is helping people hear new stories, new angles, new ideas. Uh, If it's, um, you know, we've had a couple of interventionists on that's been super, that was super interesting to hear about how they have a whole family approach to what they do. I mean, I kind of sort of already knew that, but to hear it uh, explained by somebody in that profession was really eye-opening for me. And to hear you, know, you rein- reinforcing and buttressing those arguments about yeah. connectivity and connection. You, you talk about an intervention is using the whole family, right? Right. Like every single person. I, I just, I just envision, um, you know, creating a team, right? Right. And the team is to support the quarterback. And the quarterback is the addict alcoholic who's working on getting sober. So let's all bring them together. Let's get them in this funnel of change. Let's help invite them and um, let's support them. And uh, change is going to happen. And we all get to have an opportunity to change. Absolutely. Look, I'm I'm looking at the clock over here out of the corner of my eye, and we're getting to where I get to ask two of my favorite questions of our guests. Okay. All right. What do you do poorly in your recovery? What do I do poorly in my recovery? Um, I would say uh, meditation. As a practice, as a practice, um, I hit my knees, but I, 
don't give myself enough time to hear from God. Uh, and I, and not to make excuses, but, um, God, I see God in different intervals in the day. And what I'm doing is I'm selling myself short by not having that 15 minute time span before I hit the ground running. Right. Does that make, does that it makes perfect? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. The flip side. One moment, Drew. Yeah. Uh, bear with me here. I am, yeah. uh, I'm about to jump off camera, but I still have, uh, I'm able to communicate off camera. Uh, I'm preparing for the end of the, uh, the program. So, uh, continue on. I'm going to be right here with you in three seconds. All right. Don't fall. Fortunately, the studio is <laughs> not that large. <laughs> All, right, I'm back. All right. I'm back. There we go. I was going to say, I can't hear you. hear you. All right. The flip side, question number two, what do you do well in your recovery? I would say my strongest suit in recovery would be um, demonstrating empathy, connecting with people, and sharing uh, bits of myself, which help them connect with me. I call that my profitability. That's my profitability story there. Right, right. When we can learn how to find something useful and profitable out of our own shenanigans then we're truly engaging in recovery. Right. Yeah. And and I would say that's my strong suit. Yeah, that you can bring that out of yourself and your own past and your own shenanigans. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Good questions. Yeah, that was great. Well, Drew, is there anything else that you wanted to... Uh... Just to extend my sincere thanks. I mean, talking to you has really reminded me how much I like this podcast. Right. And to hear somebody who's been down through there who made more than one mistake, who you know, danced at the edge on the precipice of true disaster, true disaster, and to salvage it and then to help the next man. Well done. Well done, Eric. Yeah. Thank you well, so thank much, you. Eric. Thank you. Um, and I look forward to being back on Recovery Lab. Absolutely. And, uh, what I want to do is do it. In Jackson, or let me rephrase that. Man. <laughs> Come yeah. on, man. Yeah, we got comfy couches. Yeah, the the yeah. private airport um, that you could fly into literally is, is right there. Literally, like two hundred yards away. So, all right. Yeah, next time you're here, holler at us, and we'll we'd love to have you in. So, we'll thank you, it. thank you we'll so much, um, and thanks again to Ruth Ann for connecting us. Yeah. Um, what an incredible, incredible human. Um, and we're grateful to her for Thank you. everything that she does, thank not only you. for us, but for everyone in the recovery community. She's a, a beautiful soul. So thank you so much, Ruth Ann. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We're out. And uh, we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Yes, sir. Bye. Thank you, Eric.